0: everyone and welcome to the next edition of the VTX Podcast. Here at the Veterinary Thought Exchange we like to start by asking what are you thinking? And this week we're going to be thinking and chatting with the amazing Janika. Not only is she a passionate small animal practitioner, she has so much more to say about some of the issues that we are facing within the profession, particularly around the topics of racism, diversity and equality. And she really does have such a powerful voice. She started an Instagram page um, in order really to document almost like a diary of her journey uh, within the profession, but also to inspire people of color to be involved and to join this amazing profession that we are um, part of. As we said in the episode, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And I really hope you enjoy our chat today. In our clinical segment we're going to be continuing our discussion about incidental increases in liver enzymes so i really hope you can stick around for that too okay so um thanks so much for joining us on the podcast tonight we're really thrilled for you to be joining us and i feel like we've been kind of chatting about doing this for quite a long time so it's nice that we finally um are sitting down together and also it was really nice to meet you at London Vet Show so that was nice to then actually be recording someone that I've met in person whereas most of the time <laughs> yes. I'm I'm recording with people that I've never actually physically met. I wonder if you can start just by giving the listeners an idea of who you are and just a little bit of your veterinary background if that's okay.
1: Yeah sure, um, I'm Janika Patel, I'm a small animal vet currently locating in the Midlands and I graduated from the University of Nottingham in 2017. Um, I have a keen interest in sort of medicine and more recently just general practice um, mm-hmm. uh, and sort of mainly communication skills as well with my clients um, and I have also got a Instagram page called Janika mm-hmm. the Vet, mm-hmm. where I post content about sort of various aspects of my vet life uh, cases um just commentary about things um and where I also sort of discuss uh, Sort of the nitty gritty of veterinary mm. life, uh, mm. the bit, the good bits and the bad bits, um, and That's also my experiences as well. As about- and
0: I, I think you do that really well. And actually, as many of the guests that we've had on the podcast kind of come through Instagram, actually, and and you know, people that that have pages that are insert name the vet, <laughs> and I'm one of those. <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have you know I have Scott the vet, you know, and yep. Rory the vet, Louisa, the vet, Cat the vet. Whatever, you know.
1: There's so many of us. Yeah? (laughs) Yeah,
0: well, no, it's not, and it's not a bad thing. It's a great thing. Um, so that, and I think you do a really good job with that. But there's a there's there was a few things that that have kind of come through, you know, conversations we've had, but also, I want to go back to a moment that we haven't discussed, um, but really has kind of really resonated with me actually. So we met at London Vet Show, and after London Vet Show, you put a, a story on Instagram and you were saying, I think that generally you thought that Linda Vexha was great and you had a really good time and the program was really good, but you made a sort of um, some observations about the speakers and the, what that, you know, what those speakers looked like as far as their um, gender and um ethnicity diversity whatever um I wondered if you and I really loved it and I wondered if you could maybe not necessarily word for word but just maybe start by by discussing why you made that statement of what 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 the reason for that was and and that observation.
1: Yeah so um I am a person of colour um and the veterinary profession in general is not that diverse, it's actually one of the least diverse professions in the UK. Um, I think it's less than three percent of vets identify as black, Asian, minority ethnic, and about 1.9% of RVNs identifies that. Um, whereas the sort of the UK um average of um BAME people is about 14 percent. Um so I I am quite passionate about discussing diversity um, and that's becoming much more of a thing for me as I'm getting older um, and and highlighting the importance of diversity particularly in our profession and as well as that discrimination that people face Um, but yeah at London Vet Show I noticed how there was still a lot of diversity lacking in many different areas as you said with gender I think over can't remember exactly I think it's over 80 percent or more than that of the speakers were male um and only I think about two or three speakers um there at London Vet Show this year were a people of colour um compared to I think I think they'd sort of have over 200 plus speakers at London Vet Show this year um so it's I guess it was sort of reflective of where we're at at the moment in in the veterinary profession because we're still a very undiverse um, profession um, but yeah I, I just wanted to highlight that to people who follow me because um, I think that really sh- needs to change and and should change uh, we we need more people with different voices um, in our profession and in different backgrounds different perspectives to really enrich in our yeah. profession. Yeah,
0: I think that. But it's it's funny because I think even if you were, I think you just have to look around at events like London Vet Show and different you know events that vets get together, and actually, you don't have to look that hard to see that there is actually that lack of diversity. I wonder, and 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 I'm sure we're not the only profession that suffer from that. You know, from that from that issue. And um, I think it's always really difficult because I I think. know and we've had conversations on the podcast before where i hope i'm not speaking out of turn but i think as a profession i think we think we're really accepting inclusive you know liberal whatever i don't know the words but actually um i wonder whether we are maybe not quite as (laughs) um accepting and um and inclusive and diverse as we maybe think we are and 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 that as you say is definitely an issue what do you think you know maybe not just for a profession like ours but but for the professions generally do you see obvious ways of kind of starting to reverse that trend and and making that making that difference
1: I think the first step is being aware of of the lack of diversity As you say, not in only just our profession, but in other professions. So I think people who identify as a minority in one way or another, I think they are quite aware of the position they're in because they look around and they feel different and they feel in some situations alienated. So for me, for example, at London Vet Show, um, yeah, it was an amazing experience. But I did notice when I was sort of just standing out there looking at Mm the faces, I couldn't see anyone that looked like me. But I, we there's a um, a veterinary group called BVEDS, the British Veterinary Diversity and Eth- um, Ethnicity Society. Um, they held a few sort of workshops, um, and, and there were a lot more people of colour that attended that, and it was a real sort of safe space for me, but also a space where I was inspired by the people that were there. Um, but so going back to the point of for people like me we're aware of those differences and and sort of being a bit of a role model can help to encourage more people in our position to come into the profession but people that don't look like us like white people people that are straight you know people that are in the categories where they're not sort of discriminated against um they Often are just not aware because it doesn't affect them these issues. When you're discriminated against or marginalised, it, it, it doesn't affect them. So they're just not aware. It's not that they're meaning to be malicious or ignorant or mean. Because um, yeah, I, as you said, I think a majority of people in our profession aren't like that. They 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 don't go out of their way um, to marginalise people and discriminate against people. They're just unaware that this happens. So say step one is making yourself aware. If you're in those camps where you're in um, a privileged position, be aware of your privilege and also be aware of what marginalised people are experiencing, hear their experiences and support them when they are being discriminated against, um, be there with them, be an active ally.
0: And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's, again, that understanding that it's not necessarily, I think we think we're immune to this because we're not seeing the obvious racism sometimes that we see on the news where I mean it clearly there are you know racist awful things that happen in the world but it's not necessarily about those it's about you know stepping into someone's shoes and living day to day and actually experiencing the type of discrimination or racism or whatever that that is not um that really obvious stuff that you see on the television, right? So there's mm-hmm. it's not it's not just one thing; it's multiple mm-hmm. different things, and 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 sometimes I think maybe there is a lack of understanding of that. Would you Would you agree?
1: No, definitely. I so say the the instances of overt, blatant racism. Mm-hmm. I I feel becoming less and less, or, or I'm experiencing less and less as well. There have been points in my life when I was younger where I experienced overt racism. So for example, when I was young, I was waiting out um, at um outside a shop whilst my mum went in to get something because I was eating an ice cream. These group of boys, probably about five years older than me, just came up to me and said, Oi, you P A K I, go back home. You don't belong here. And this was me at probably about age 11, 12, not knowing, you know, so have- anything about that was my sort of first experience of overt racism
0: so how so how that can't be that long ago because you're not that old you're,
1: you're... <laughs> I'm 28 so uh, that was back in the sort of mid-2000s but Yeah, the, around there.
0: so let's just get our head around that everyone that's listening the mid-2000s so that in my you know I, I was born closer to the 70s <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> so
0: the for me the mid-2000s is like modern day like you know like I I think that is mind-blowing that that people would say such I mean I just can't believe it but there you go but that's the reality is that that happens so obviously that you know overt racism like that we can all Mm -hmm. get we can all be like okay no that's not okay um I wonder what is there kind of examples of maybe things that are not smacking you in the face like that, as far as you know, where you've experienced that within in within the veterinary community, within veterinary practices, you know, things that maybe people wouldn't realize affect you, but they do,
1: yeah, definitely. I've experienced them. And the general term for those, um, experiences um or instances known as microaggression mm-hmm. microaggressions i know you had a podcast about yeah, it with emyela yeah. and Rosie yeah. mm-hmm. um, which was really good by the way oh thank um, you and they, it, aren't it they really wonderful to- yeah, yeah yeah but yeah. um i have experienced microaggressions um and up until quite recently and it's something that i will experience um, but basically, a lot of those microaggressions are unintentional slights or remarks um, that can belittle someone or discriminate against someone, but they're not intended to. It's just the impact that they have. So it's really important to understand that you may not intend to offend someone, um, by, but by making those slight remarks, it, it's the impact that matters of, of how that, uh, the person takes it. So, for example one thing I hear quite commonly is where are you from or no where are you really from and and you know it, I've had that a few times um particularly during EMS placements um and it's it gets tiring to deal with when you have those little sort of sites like that um trying to you know let well, they say where are you from well South London no hey, where are you really from I was, I was born and raised in South London no, no, where, where, where are your parents from? My dad's from Tanzania. My mom's from India. Oh, yeah, India, right? So you're Indian? And like, yes, yes, I am. And then I actually had one client when I was on EMS when the vet had stepped out of the room. Um, one client went down that road and then said, once if I got to the sort of India bit, they're like, oh, India. My sister went there a few years ago. Very dirty, disgusting place. Filthy. Smells disgusting. And I'm like, I'm just standing there like. Um, and again, I was about 20, 20 years old at that point. So I didn't have enough confidence in myself to call, call that out.
0: I just can't. Like, I think.
1: Yeah.
0: But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just don't know what I, get. I Like, I feel it just, yeah, I don't it know. It just
1: makes you feel icky, doesn't it? I yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Like, I just, I mean, yeah, on so many different levels. Like, what, you know, what.
1: I understand. I yeah. So when when people ask me where I'm from, and a lot of times it's just from genuine, genuine curiosity. of Because a lot of people ask that. It's, it's, it's a conversation starter, isn't it? Where are you from? That in itself is not offensive. It's the connotation behind it sometimes that people put intentionally. But then also then when you persistently ask someone, when they've given you an answer of where they're from trying to sort of dig at something and trying to uncover their sort of ethnic identity if they don't want to disclose it they don't want to disclose it if they do they will tell you in that first answer they give you that's what is offensive and that's what can get to people um but yeah there are other microaggressions like oh you know you act so white which again I get <sighs> <sometimes. laughs> and then, um I love sometimes I get it from family um because i' again, this is another road I can mm, go down in terms mm. of discuss discussing about assimilating into white culture, especially as a young person mm. um and a sort of a first generation born british Asian here um but yeah sort of i I did adopt a lot of white. Sort of a lot of white culture when I was younger because mm-hmm. I wanted to assimilate and fit in with my peers and um, because of that a lot of my family said oh you, you you're so white or you act so white but then I did ha- also get it from people who were friends or people that mm-hmm. I were acquainted with they were like oh you act so white for an Indian person it's like well but you can't but how can you wait but I,
0: <laughs> I mean I don't it's so but, but but again you know it's interesting because how can? well I feel like you're in a how can you win like you're trying you know it's you know and i and i don't want to compare you to something that's trivial but i was actually we were at the cinema and the advert came on for the whitney houston biopic and actually one of one of the things i've not seen the film but one of the things and i know she was accused of this was actually she was accused of um singing songs that were too white you know so the the black community she came from the gospel community they were like this is white People's music and she, and actually I love and I've seen her say this in interviews. She just, I'm just singing the songs I wanted to sing. Like I love, I love this music. It, you know, it's just what I, it's it's music and I love it. You know, and I, I thought there was kind of an honesty in that that it's just, you know, it, it's just what I want to do. Like you know, I mean, it's it, it, and, and I think it's so interesting that you're kind of getting that from every angle. <laughs> it's yeah. almost like it's almost like you can't win. Um, do you do you think that? So again, actually you know, you spoke about that kind of questioning from clients. What about within teams, within, within um, you know, the the teams that you've um, worked in, the veterinary teams? Is there, is there anything from that perspective? I know the thing is, and this is what kind of is always a little bit of a funny thing, you know, people talk about banter and there's a lot of stuff that we say that, and I've certainly had things said to me ingest maybe that are not I don't know now that I think about it potentially I, I don't know not always 100 percent on the money but um you know so I, I think that there's a lot of that banter piece it's just a joke we're just having fun and we say a lot of things in the prep room that we probably get fired for or cli- if clients heard some of the things we say don't do you know <laughs> what I mean like if I yeah. if, if, if if they if Someone had filmed me through my veterinary career, I would have made it about five minutes. I would have been fired day one. Oh yeah.
1: Because, I think because... W- one of the um one of the things would be commenting on how fat your bitch space is. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just but just a th- field day. But things, you know, but but then also like going off in a tangent, but you know, we say it's almost uncomfortable. We 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 sometimes make jokes about. Related to death and to do with other, you know, but it's all kind of a bit. And I think unless you're in the industry, you maybe don't understand, and um, you know. So we joke about some odd things as veterinary professionals. Mm-hmm. So my point is, maybe a lot of the stuff that you've experienced, if you have in the prep room or whatever, is kind of sold off as banter. But I wonder whether that's maybe not always the case, and that's not acceptable
1: either. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I have, I mean, I've been quite lucky that during work, majority of my colleagues, if I've been discriminated against, um, they will support me. And if they, they, I've never felt like I have had a intentional dig or even a, an unintentional, like a microaggression regarding my race made about me. Um, it's more comments that they make about other people or other sort of topics. So mainly around COVID, there was a nurse that made some comments about Chinese people. Um, And I I called that out. Like you know, though she was just joking around, like, oh these Chinese people with their viruses. And it's like, because we had a a Chinese client um in with a dog. And I was like, no, that's not acceptable to say. Um, And she was like, oh no, it's just a joke, you know, I was just joking. But yeah, it's it's more that I've observed it. I have heard other people, um, other people of colour, and 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 other people in marginalised groups um, have those instances um, where they have been sort of had a microaggression from a colleague. And actually, um, from the BVA Voice um, Voices of the Vet survey in two thousand nineteen, I think there was a statistic saying that most common form of discrimination or sort of where most discrimination was coming from to people that were discriminated against in the profession was from senior colleagues so I think about 53 percent of reported discrimination was from senior colleagues so it you know I have heard of it I've not luckily experienced it but other things where they have been those sort of jokes and banters I have called them out Um, and I think you know, it's it's. I understand sometimes when people make these jokes and they're a bit off the cuff or a bit sort of close to the mark. I I don't hold it against them. It doesn't mean that they're a bad person. And I think a lot of people are worried now that, especially with with all these conversations happening about discrimination and microaggressions, people are worried that oh no, I'm going to say the wrong thing or put my foot in it. Or you've got the other group of people be like oh these are a bunch of snowflakes or you know, um uh, th- there's uh, they were just taking offense to anything um but all of that comes from a fear of being labeled as a bad person or being seen as a racist or misogynist or homophobic that's not what you know you just saying that one comment doesn't make you that it just means that you've made a racist comment or homophobic comment whatever but you if you are called out for it then don't don't get too offended mm-hmm. don't try and brush it off as just banter as jokes apologize yeah. say you know I'm sorry didn't mean for it to offend you or didn't mean for it to come out like that at all I'll take mm-hmm. that on board and educate yourself on how that has an impact on those on, on people
0: I think the problem is so that's of course the right thing to do and then you know we talked in previous uh, podcasts about the silent majority in the middle who <clears throat> actually do just want to do the right thing and want to learn <clears throat> excuse me and and will do better i think the problem is that the loudest voices are usually the at the extreme ends of the spectrum right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the ones that are this the ones that are the <laughs> the snowflake bashers are they're they're not gonna if you call them out they're gonna be even louder, or, mm-hmm. and so I think there there are some challenges there. You know,
1: mm-hmm. I mean,
0: I, again, I, again, not speaking out term most of the time they're white men, so it's, you know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is true. So That's you know, just, what, you know, I don't, yeah.
0: you know, I, I you can never like, you know easy for you do you know like I, and I I, I I I'm a white man like I can't be too you know I can't be too disparaging but but it's mm. do you know I mean it's all relative isn't it and you you don't until you've walked in someone else's shoes you've got no idea you've got no idea about the day-to-day differences and all that kind of stuff you just don't know like it's 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 impossible to to know um I wonder you know you have obviously put yourself I'm I'm always interested in this. You put yourself out there a little bit by by creating an, an Instagram profile, you know, insert name vet, um, and um, which is again, you know, great. What what was the what was your reason for that? Do you, is is there a is there a particular message that you're trying to get across? Is there is is there an agenda, <laughs> or is there? Or are you? I mean, you come across so well, and you're so personable, and 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 I think you, you know, I I think your voice is very important. You know, I I, I from from what I see on social media, but but is there a, a secret agenda? What are you? What are you?
1: I, just, I mean, a, a, a I want to be rich and famous. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's my don't, agenda.
0: <laughs> do listen. Don't, don't we don't we all? I mean, no, I think joking. that I'd is.
1: Rather- I'd rather be rich than famous. I don't want the fame. I just want the money.
0: Like, that's like (laughs) Adele. She doesn't want the fame. She just wants... Yeah, she just (laughs) wants to be a singer. Um,
1: I love that. Yeah,
0: no, I, I completely...
1: That's, I agree, that's, not, actually. that's not the agenda. No, 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 no. no, 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 no okay. <laughs> I hope
0: people listening don't think
1: that... I'm actually in it for the money in the
0: same. Because... And this is when you, this is when you get really annoyed with me during the edit, where we just take out the bit. You were like, "That's not true," and actually, you just want to be rich <laughs> and famous. No, okay, so so you, I, I agree. Actually, I'd much rather be rich and famous. Hmm. But yeah, so what's what was the purpose of of that platform, if there was one? And it's okay if there yeah. wasn't. But I'm interested. No, there
1: there was. So it was two things. The first thing was I wanted it to be a little bit of a diary for myself to look back on of my experiences with different cases and and what I can do as a vet and my achievements. Um, Certainly at the beginning of my career um, and throughout really I've suffered from imposter syndrome. Um, I had a really sort of negative start to my career where I didn't have a great first job that was supportive and I I got out of it within three months of starting but that really pushed my confidence um back um and it took me some time to believe in myself again as a vet and I really grappled with imposter syndrome the following sort of two three years after that Um, so I started that towards the end of that period to try and help me realise what I can do and, 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 yeah, the things I can do as a vet. And I think that that has really helped me. Um, I feel a lot more confident as a vet. There are some days I still have my wobblies where I feel like I'm not qualified to do this job or certain things are out of my depth. Um, but by and large, I feel much more confident in my shoes now. Um And the second reason why was that I wanted to inspire other people of colour to join veterinary medicine Um, because, as I said, I I don't come across many people that look like me. Um, And I remember the times that I did when I was a student or even as a vet, um, I would get so excited at just seeing someone that looked like me doing the job. Um, There was one time on a mixed farm mixed farm practice ems that i was doing there was a, a a young female indian vet there um doing farm visits and i was i was just so in awe of her um you know she was short like me as well so i was like how oh, how can you do pregnancy diagnosis being so short and she was there doing it but um yeah she it was just so good to see someone like me doing this job we had conversations about um racism and and experiences that she had particularly um in the farming industry um and that was yeah that was really inspiring so i wanted to have this platform to be able to Mm -hmm. just show people and also yeah educate people about veterinary medicine
0: it's a double whammy with the the farm and the the um you know, you were saying, you know, as a person of colour, but also we've had, you know, female farm vets on from Mm -hmm. Ireland um, before who have talked about some really bizarre experiences with attitudes towards their um, femaleness. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. you know, so that, 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 what, what an incredible thing. You must have literally been like, oh my God, this this is the moment here. This woman is doing it. And that's literally yeah. it,
1: it made me feel like I could be a, a mixed a mixed, vet, mixed animal vet for like two weeks and I even applied for a job there and then I and then I was like actually no I can't no. I, I can't do the cold weather. You
0: got your you got your sense <laughs> back. But I think yeah. I, I remember um Mandisa Green, um former RCBS president, she was on a TV show. She was in my year at vet school, actually, but um, oh, yeah, 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 we were in the same year at vet school, but um, she was on a TV show at some stage because of her, you know, being the RCBS president. I remember so clearly her saying, if you can't see it, you can't be it. You know, so I think this, I you've said that a couple of times and I love that. If I, if, if you don't, as a child, particularly, if you don't see something, then it's not it's not a thing, you know, you've got to, you can dream, obviously, but you've got, you know, visualization of anything is so important, because actually, you're like, well, if they can do it, you know, then, and that's why, you know, you know, regardless of politics, you know, seeing Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, in the position that they were in, you know, that visualization is just is so fundamentally important. And that will be for the rest of time, like, that's, Things like that are such game changers. But anyway, but seeing the pregnancy diagnosis being carried out by someone that looks like you must be like that game changer moment where you're like, no, I can do it. I love it. I applied for the job and then I deeply regretted it and a retracted
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I absolutely love that.
0: So as far as, so, you know, we we talked to lots of really inspiring people on in the podcast, but I, I think, you know, and, and almost no one... Is, is trying to you know fundamentally change the world but they're trying to change the world in just in their own small way so what do you think what's next for you not as far as world domination or rich and famous but just just generally, what's next for you
1: um I'll be honest I'm still figuring that out myself mm-hmm. um I'm at a point in my life where I've gone through some big changes and sort of moving to a different place in the country getting married you know becoming a locum that's been a a huge adjustment um so I'm still figuring it out I still change my mind every other day as to whether I want to become a permanent vet again and do a certificate or whether I want to stay locuming or whether I want to go into academia and go into teaching or do I want to get involved (laughs) with um like BVA or RCVS. I don't quite know personally in in regards to my professional life. Um, so I'm going to stick at locoming for a little while longer. Um, whilst I figure that out. But I think more personally as as a as a sort of developing myself, I I am on the path of sort of really educating myself on matters on um discrimination, sort of racism intersectionality as well um, and and how that sort of affects um people um and yeah educate myself more on those topics and in turn speak out more about about those issues um and yeah continue to r- raise raise my voice with the platform that i have
0: well i think you would be great in the kind of rcbs bva arena but that's just my opinion, but I think that because well, i but you know talking about you know visualization. I do. I I think don't don't let your imposter syndrome creep in. I think you'd be great at that. Um, oh, thank you. Talking about kind of um, so you know you whether you like it or not are inspiring. I'm going to tell you. Um. So <laughs> there you go. Um. You heard it here. Not first. Um. I'm I'm interested to know who inspires you.
1: Ooh, quite a few people that inspire me um within the sort of veterinary realm um I think we mentioned her before Mandisa Green um really inspiring person with her being a former RCDS president as well and, and and all the campaigns and, and changes um she sort of a brought forward um Sheedy Gardner, who's uh, in the RCBS um, as well. She is in the, I think she's head of diversity, inclusion, and equality um, work group in in the RCBS and is looking to really enact a lot of changes. Um, The the guys at BVEDS, uh, in particular, Issa and Thebe, who are the co-founders of Beveds, just really inspiring of the, the sort of career path that they've had, and, and as well as providing support for um, ethnic minority groups within the profession, with via their Facebook page and their their website, and, and just personally being mm-hmm. really great support. Um, and then there's sort of what I call the VETstagram crew. Mm-hmm. If you included Scott. Uh,
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't I'm not really like but okay yeah but no I take it yeah I know the people you mean though I'm I, what a lovely community yeah. of people yeah
1: really really lovely people um really supportive and inspiring with within what they do so like Katie, um with, with uh, a lot of the work she does about imposter syndrome has really helped me. um You and and yeah, your page and the, the, all the sort of information. There's a brilliant vet in um, Australia called Dr. Magda who does really great case discussions and I she's love just her. A, or a lovely person. So she's been um, on the podcast
0: too. She's been on. So there's a. Oh yeah,
1: I think I've listened yeah, to her yeah yeah. She, yeah, yeah. she
0: is one of the nicest people. Do you know? Like she's just. A nice person,
1: yeah, right, yeah. And, yeah, and she deserves everything. I say, I've, I've we've been back and forth the DMs, um, oh. for a while, and she's just, yeah, amazing. And she's been through a rough time recently, and it's yeah. just sad to see people like you know, generally good people that meanwhile mm-hmm. are being teared down by <laughs> trolls on the internet, as I like to call them. But yeah,
0: that was, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know exactly the situation you're talking about, and just mm. super. It takes a lot. I mean, I, yeah, I was starting to become a bit of a keyboard player. <laughs> <volume>, but, um, <laughs> but just because I'm just like, for God's sake, like, what are we doing? Like, li- literally ripping each other apart. Like, what mm-hmm. is this about? Anyway, never mind. Um, no, that, yeah, g- 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 lots of great inspiring people there. Good answer. Um, I wonder, my next question is. <laughs> What do you want to not you can't see Richard Famous? What do you want to be when you grow up? No. <laughs> <laughs> rich and famous.
1: So wait, am I rich, not already not a grown yeah, no, rich, rich not famous? No, am I not already so... a grown-up though? Like I think thinking mm. back to myself, I know probably you're gonna think like no, you're so young, you've still got so much to go. But mm. well, I think back to when I was a kid and all I said is I want to be there. And here I am so now it's like okay I did it um, yeah mic, did mic, it.
0: mic drop done mic drop. yeah
1: um so I I don't know I mean hopefully a mother one day
0: oh okay good answer well that's a good answer <laughs>
1: yeah that's, that's a full-time cool job isn't it yeah isn't it? that's we've not anyone say that
0: before actually that's a really interesting that's a lovely answer let's stick with mother rich M- rich mother, mother.
1: Oh, rich not famous <laughs> mother
0: rich not famous mother Um, okay fine
1: yeah
0: (laughs) okay good um so I I think you know you I think I probably know the answer to this question but you um obviously um it was Nottingham you graduated from wasn't it Nottingham
1: yeah
0: so take yourself back to your year of graduation in fact no take yourself back to the year of uh, application so you put your application in for vet school. Going back, rewinding time, Mm -hmm. would you still submit your application to vet school?
1: Yes. And there have been many, many times in my life where I have asked myself that question or been asked that question, and I've said no and regretted going, well, not going to vet school, but becoming a vet. But now, right now, yeah no I, I would have still done I can't imagine myself having done anything else so that's the thing so I was so fixated on, on becoming a vet since such a young age that even through the real tough times the first sort of two, three years of my career I still couldn't think of what else I would have done um, and now I've gone through that real real rough patch and hopefully it never comes back again um, yeah I would I would do it again good.
0: Yes. Good answer. Um, And if there was one piece of advice you could give to the people that are listening, what what would that advice be?
1: Don't be afraid to speak up. Um, I know that it is hard to speak up in the face of discrimination, especially if you're the one being discriminated against, but even, even if you've witnessed discrimination... You know, it's, it's hard because you think that you're going to be ostracised, you feel like you're no one's going to take you seriously or people are going to take you too seriously and you're not going to fit in anymore. But it's really important to not let any forms of discrimination slide. The more people that speak up about it, and especially people that witness discrimination and, and support the people that have been discriminated against speak up about it, the more likely that that sort of toxic culture um Mm -hmm. is gonna end so yeah that's that's what I'd say good
0: you're very wise very wise
1: I'm not I'm not
0: for for someone so young (laughs) I'm joking that's so patronizing I'm joking I'm just jealous that you're not that I'm not young (laughs) my deepest regret (laughs) (laughs) um oh well listen honestly thank you so much for um taking the time to chat to us you know topics that we haven't discussed really in this way before i you know we appreciate your honesty and and i hope um that you know people listening um will you know find comfort and um inspiration in, in your words and I'm, i certainly i have so um thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us today
1: thank you scott i really appreciate that thank you <laughs>
0: Okay, so in our clinical segment this week, we're going to continue our discussion about the asymptomatic increases in liver enzymes. So um, I left you with the question last week, would you do the dental? And just to recap for those of you that are are joining um, and and not had a chance to catch up with the last episode, we were talking about Jack, a nine-year-old male neuter Labrador with moderate dental disease and, and really Um, we were suggesting taking some bloods prior to the GA for the dental, but really very routine, dog is very well, uh, no other clinical signs. And on these bloods, you reveal uh, a moderate increase in ALT and ALP. So ALT is 644, which is heading on for kind of five times the upper reference, and ALP is is moderately um, to more severely increased at 1201. So we've got robust increases in liver enzymes. Not much else uh, on the blood apart from a mild non-regenerative anemia. Dog is very well otherwise. So we've gone back, quizzed the owners, made sure there's nothing in the history with um, a clinical signs that weren't you know obvious. But there's nothing else. Dog is very well apart from the dental disease. Uh, no other drugs in the history. It's really important any drugs or supplements that the dog may be may be taking. So then the question was, you know, do you do the dental? And I think in a patient that has these liver enzyme increases where they really require the GA, you know, the the, the mouth is terrible or, or they've got another reason to have a GA that's more pressing, then having increases in liver enzymes doesn't necessarily stop you from doing the GA. But I would say in a dog where the dental disease is not severe, um, then... There may be, uh, you know, consideration for sort of pausing and and uh, you know thinking about these enzyme increases a little bit more. The other thing to consider is, you know, this is an older dog. There there may be some benign um, changes within the liver that have developed with age that could be contributing, and also. Dental disease may cause some increase in liver enzymes. You know, anything outside the liver that's uh, potentially uh, uh, infectious, inflammatory, reactive, you know, all of these things could be playing in. So all of that kind of has to be a, a possibility. So age may be playing a part. The one thing that does ring a bit of an alarm bell for me is the fact that this is a Labrador and we know that Labradors are predisposed to um certain types of hepatopathy, copper-associated hepatopathy. Um, so, you know, that's something else to consider. You know, the signal, the signalment does kind of potentially take you down a, a certain road, you know. So if this was, um, uh, you know, uh, again, l- a- another breed that is predisposed to chronic hepatopathy, such as Dobermans uh, or Sharpe with amyloidosis, if this was a young dog, then maybe you'd be more concerned about things like a portosystemic shunt. So the signalment does um, play into this, you know, a little bit as far as what animals get. And like I said, older animals get nodular hyperplasia. So it may not, you know, there, there could be a benign process at play here. I think the first thing that we wanted to do with Jack was confirm that these were repeatable results. So we we did get the dog back, I think, two to three weeks down the line. And we, we showed that the results were exactly the same. And then uh, you know, after revisiting the history, as we said, I, I gave the owners a couple of options actually. Um, and the options that we gave the owners were to do further investigations, you know, so to, to, to consider further investigations for um liver disease um or to give the dog some supportive care for the liver. So, uh, you know, a combination of Denimarin and Destilet, so a, a SAMI-containing product and Destilet for uh, four to six weeks to see whether that had any positive effect. Um, <clears throat> or, you know, to do literally nothing um, and again monitor the ALT at another time point. I think we felt like we demonstrated it was a persistent finding so I encourage the owner to sort of say, well, look, do we give the, the liver some supportive care um, and retest the blood or, um, you know, do some investigations? And they consented for some investigations. And so f- the first, th- first thing I would do is, is consider liver function. So we look at our standard biochemistry and, and we say to ourselves, what about that biochemistry tells us about liver function? And the answer to that question is um urea, uh, ammonia, uh, uh bile acids, um bilirubin, uh cholesterol, um glucose, albumin. And so for instance, things like albumin will be will go down with liver failure, but you need about 75 to 80% of liver function loss to to downregulate albumin. Glucose will also go down with liver failure, but again, about 80% of liver function loss for that to happen. So that's kind of quite progressed and 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 certainly that is not at all the case in this dog. We'll see urea going down with liver disease. We'll see ammonia going up. Uh, we'll see cholesterol. Cholesterol is a funny one. It will go down with some liver disease, but also with some uh, gallbladder or cholestatic disease, it can um, it can uh, increase. Bile acids uh, obviously are a way of assessing liver function. Um, we would normally recommend doing a bile acid stim. Uh, and bilirubin was is another thing that can go up with liver disease and, and certainly wasn't uh, up in this case. So from a standard biochemistry, you know, the, the glucose, the urea, the albumin, the cholesterol, the bilirubin, none of them were abnormal. Do you then do more of these liver function tests? You know, I, I, I'm always... It's always a bit of a debate, but we did decide to do a biolacid stim in this case, which was um, normal. And so I felt based on that and based on the um, uh, rest of the biochemistry, we we weren't looking at this liver being uh, dysfunctional. Uh, And so, um, you know, I think we demonstrated that um, the liver was functioning fine. So with Jack, we had gone back through the history we were happy we'd not missed anything we'd quizzed the owners appropriate appropriately about other stuff that might cause raises in liver enzymes we had shown that these were repeatable results by repeating the blood sample which i think is important and we'd considered liver function and i think demonstrated really pretty well that um you know uh liver function was was good the other main thing that I think we need to consider is, you know, diseases outside the liver that could be playing into liver enzyme increases and how how extensively do we investigate those. So I did recommend abdominal ultrasound with Jack to assess the liver, but also to assess for uh, disease potentially outside of the liver. Uh, and, uh, abdominal ultrasound was pretty unremarkable. Now, abdominal ultrasound can be really hit or miss with liver disease, you know, with many particularly chronic um, enterop- um enteropathies, chronic hepatopathies, ultrasound can be pretty un- unremarkable in many of those cases. And certainly that was the case with Jack. Nothing really outside the liver. So all the other abdominal organs looked absolutely uh, fine. question I often get asked is, you know, would you then do any sort of endocrine disease testing with, with liver enzyme increases? Um, particularly hyperadrenocorticism and hypothyroidism I would categorically not test for either of those diseases in a, a case that didn't have any other signs of um um cushings or hypothyroidism I think um it's uh, inappropriate to test particularly for cushings just based on increases particularly in in ALKP so we we didn't um we didn't do that um Another question, thinking about disease outside the liver, would you um, test for leptospirosis? Um, Leptospirosis is an interesting one. Usually we see leptospirosis cases presenting with a combination of kind of liver bloods, but also uh, the vast majority of them will have some sort of uh, renal involvement, uh, which he didn't, although it has been Uh, documented in the literature, dogs presenting just with liver um, involvement rather than obvious kidney uh, disease. So that doesn't completely rule it out. Usually they're sick. Um, There was nothing else about his haematology biochemistry that suggested lepto. um, But uh, to be belt and braces, we did uh, test in his case uh, and his leptospirosis testing came back uh, negative. The final thing we did, and again, debatable in in some ways was we did an FNA of the liver. Before the FNA we did um, check coagulation parameters which were normal. Um, so the FNA of the liver uh, was carried out and it came back uh, as completely unremarkable. Now we know that an uh, unremarkable FNA certainly does not rule out uh, liver disease. Um, the majority of the time um it gives you a bit of a guide maybe, but actually um, it, it doesn't always correlate well with what the, the is actually happening within the liver. So we've now got a situation where we truly have incidentally increased liver enzymes. We've done imaging of the abdomen to exclude extra hepatic disease. We've we've done ultrasound obviously to include the, the liver, some FNAs, liver function is okay um and we've even tested for leptospirosis which was unremarkable and so i suppose then you know my question is what do we do next i think the owners in this case um were happy that we'd not found anything with the um with the the liver um or investigations generally Um, And we were at a bit of a crossroads then as to what to do. So at this stage, the owners did elect for six to eight weeks of SAMI and rc acid, so a combination of Denimarin and Destillate. Um, And the liver enzymes did improve a little bit. So um, they went down from the 600s to the the mid-500s in ALT, um, but were not normal. Um, and so at that stage we discussed with the owners that really that the next step in investigation would be to consider a liver biopsy. And so this week I'll leave you with the question, would you recommend a liver biopsy in this case? And I suppose the other thing to think about is, what information are you going to get from the liver biopsy that actually might be truly beneficial to the patient. So I'll leave you with that and we'll finish off this little story next week a massive thank you again to janika for her incredible contribution to the podcast we are so grateful uh we're so grateful to to all of you for listening and taking time to to tune in and uh, spend some time with us i really can't ever thank you enough for that uh we will hopefully see you again very soon to bring you another incredible uh, speaker from our profession, but also to finish off our chat about those pesky liver enzymes. So we'll see you next time.